So I thought I would start with a little humor here, but um, a little background here. Um, I live up in the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, <clears throat> and we have uh, uh, bears that come and go, you know. And a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, teaching in, over in Nevada and uh, Reno and Carson City and Menden. <clears throat> and I was coming home, and it was just dusk, and I was coming over Donner Pass. This big black bear came, just came out of the snow. And so I slowed down and, and ran across the road and, and went up the hill, you know. And it was just such a, you know, these big creatures like that. Uh, I always, I guess, since I think it's called magical mind, you know, I always think, uh, you know, and sometimes, uh, like today, listen to the hawks up on the hill there, and somehow that um, there's more being informed here than, um, you know, than meets kind of uh, the tight shoe that uh, called the self that we uh, kind of inhabit. So, so I'd like to start with a little, uh, this is actually from the... Um, the Colorado uh, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. <clears throat> this was uh, the woman picked up a pamphlet on living in bear country and suggestions of what to do if you meet a bear. And she took and she uh, actually took the word bear out and uh, put in thoughts, you know. <laughs> so. Um, it's quite good, you know. I mean, these are the best instructions, you know, I've kind of seen for a while. And it goes, what do, you meet, what do you do when you meet a thought? There are no definite rules about what to do if you meet a thought. Thought attacks are rare compared to the number of close encounters. <laughs> However, if you do meet a thought before it has time to leave your area, here are some, some suggestions. One, stay calm. <laughs> if you see a thought and it hasn't seen you, calmly leave the area. <laughs> Stop. Back away slowly while facing the thought. Give the thought plenty of room to escape. These are really good suggestions, huh? Wild thoughts rarely attack people <laughs> unless they feel threatened or provoked. Speak softly. This may reassure the thought that no harm is meant to it. <laughs> Relax. If a thought stands upright or moves closer, it may be trying to detect your scent. This isn't a sign of aggression. Once a thought identifies you, it may leave the area or try to intimidate you by charging to within a few feet before it withdraws. Okay. This is the last one. Don't run. Or make any sudden movements. Running is likely to prompt the thought to give chase. <laughs> and you can't outrun a thought. <laughs> so, you have now had your instructions. These are basic meditation instructions of dealing with thoughts. So, tonight, just to... Um, and to continue in our kind of exploration here um, of these factors of awakening. Uh, the way I kind of do it, I, I kind of frame uh, my talk in a, uh, some kind of language here. I don't know what, some people call it poems, some people, I don't know, they call it nothing probably, but it's a way I can construct uh, what I'm doing. You know, so here goes. Old year, new year. Wiping off the stickiness glued to the mirror. Knowing that if a rag is not clean, we just smear our clarity over and over. Steeped in this modesty of sitting. 
ultimately being faithful to these precepts, understanding the power of these hindrances. We stay awake, aware, inquisitive, energized. Having cleared the road, we feel truth of imperfection. The great happiness begins to dawn like a snowflake melting on your hand. We sit easy in this changing world, small glimpses of the spots where the mirror is clean, such joy in this purity of seeing, small glimpses of the spots where the mirror is clean, such joy in this purity of seeing. Firmly established, ultimately feeling the world of joyous contentment. So, we come to, uh, there's a word, piti, and sometimes just uh, translated, it's a great talk for tonight, happiness and joy, and uh, sometimes translated as rapture, which is kind of cool. You know, and um, the, the fundamentals here is that uh, once we really establish ourselves in uh, the kind of the mindful of the moment, the mindfulness uh, or the awareness itself, and that there is that um, openness of uh, a sense of curiosity, you know, and again, it's not an intellectual curiosity; it's simply this willingness uh, to be uh, interested in what is happening uh, in the body, in the nature of thinking, of the nature of your heart. And that with that, then uh, there is, uh, you are energized, you know, through that. And these are kind of the the fundamentals here of uh, coming to a place where uh, this all settles out, you know, in some way. And so tonight I get to talk about happiness, you know, and the fundamentals of it. You know, so first there's kind of the classic uh, part of this, uh, which I'll just explore a little bit with you, because it's really based on uh, this truth that I think in some ways this practice, um, you know, it's not about getting anywhere or doing anything. It's this thing of learning how to trust, you know, and the trust takes a tremendous amount of listening, you know. And that kind of listening, uh, sometimes it gets uh, kind of rocky, as you all know. And simply because those hindrances in some way come along and kind of enchant us. They aren't who we are. They just enchant us for some time, you know. And I love the description in, in some of the texts that I, I like that of a boat way out in the ocean, you know. And there's a little bird on that boat, you know. And that bird uh, is looking for some place to land. But it's way out in the ocean, so there's no place for it to land. So it flies off, and it always has to come back. You know? And that's really our story. You, know? you sit here quiet, and you kind of listen, and then you kind of go off on some little tangent. And you go out, and where do you go? You know, you're not going anywhere. You just suddenly come back and are here again, you know? And so there's a way we start learning that, okay, there's something about staying here, you know, uh, that is that sense of inquisitiveness and is this sense of curiosity and and that there is this uh, energetic that happens, you know? As we kind of stay with this, um there is a, a wonderful a truth that begins to real, reveal itself. And it's due to this mindfulness and due to this kind of curiosity and this willingness to kind of uh, look and feel, you know. And um, the, the kind of forces that kind of keep us here, you know, kind of make us uh, know that we're on a boat. And... Um, uh, that boat rocks a little, and the little bird goes off, and um, then it, it can't go too far, 
because it just doesn't have the power to do that. There's no place for it to land. So you keep coming back here. But as you keep coming back and start recognizing that, you know, this is it. You know, uh, Alan Watts had this line of, you know, uh, that in our culture uh, that the, the past and the future were more real than the present. You know, and maybe all we're doing here is we're trying to put a little more attention on the simplicity of this truth of the present. You know? And as we begin to rest a little longer in the state of just um, a sense of ease, a sense of comfort, uh, that that actually a sense of happiness begins to grow. And it is a natural phenomenon. It's not due to, you know, uh, the kind of uh, sometimes in our, the little bird runs off and it's had a little memory of a pleasant sensation or it's trying to create something in the future. Uh, this is simply about if we stay, you know, uh, we don't run off. And we start to feel into uh, the... Uh, ability of this uh, mind-body-heart that uh, when it settles down, uh, there's a natural kind of sense of uh, uh, energetically, a sense of peace and happiness uh, that, you know, in some ways it's just your birthright, you know? And it's not about pleasant or unpleasant. You know, this summer... uh, I I was in Ladakh, uh, India, and and to do a self retreat. And usually, what I do is I go trekking first. So, uh, and one of the ways that I like this is I walk to kind of um, what is it? It's just like it feels like fish scales that I've accumulated uh, from all the connections and everything going on and teaching and and um, it gets kind of thick, you know. I'd like to say that, oh, I just let it come in, let it go out. But there's some accumulation that happens. And so I walk, you know? And so I walked this uh, Marka Valley last summer, and I also was challenging myself because I I wanted to go up to about 17,000 feet just to see if I'm old, but not that old, you know? So that's just, uh, you know, the way I like to kind of challenge myself in some way. And then after that, I go into self-retreat, you know? And so I went to sit for a month, and um, in a monastery that I go to there. And uh, I went, and uh, one of the things that happened, just, just uh, you know, one of these things, uh, I left uh, cholesterol medi- medication that I take here. And so I went into a pharmacy uh, in Leh, Ladakh, and, and asked pharmacists, you know, what they had. And so they gave me some stuff, and it was about twice as strong as what I usually take. And so... Um, I was taking it. I thought everything was fine. And the first week, usually what I do is I just do concentration. You know, I just go, go, come on. John, stay. Come on. Stay here, you know. And I'd already walked off all the, all, a lot of my garbage, you know. And I had done this, you know, the first, the first time I ever did that was in uh, probably 1969, you know. And I went and I, uh, up in the Annapurna range and I walked and I realized after that that there was this, you know, I'd kind of cleared my mind out and that I could actually sit and, and, and actually do a thing called concentration in some way. Not in the way of pushing it, but if just simply, you know, uh, sometimes the way it happens is just it has to, you have to have this ease and peace uh, that allows uh, the collecting to happen. You know, so I spent a week doing that. And then, and every afternoon about, uh, about I guess it was about 5 o'clock to, to sunset there, I would uh, take a long walk. And uh, it used to be I would go down and make this circle. They blocked it off uh, by the uh, the burning guts where they would burn the bodies. And I always thought that was, you know, uh, informative, you know. In some ways, we kind of, my grandparents had a funeral home, so I, uh, understood a little bit about it, but it's always something we kind of, it's like we want to hide, you know, in some ways. So I felt like, oh, it was always a good thing to go and kind of touch into that. But this year I had to walk a different way, and it was longer, a little steeper. 
And I started having these pains, you know, and it started first my elbow, and then it was uh, in my hip, and then it was in my knee, and I didn't know what was going on, you know? And pretty soon I couldn't sit like this. I've been sitting like this for, you know, getting close to 50 years, you know? And I couldn't sit uh, on a zafu, you know? I had to sit in a chair. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, am I just falling apart, you know? What's, what's, what's happening here? And there was, of course, there was some self-judgment about what was this. And I have no, I didn't have an idea what was going on. I thought, oh, I was just, you know, the French have a thing that they say, how's it go? Um, you know, once you reach 60, uh, you either have pain or you're dead. So, uh, you know, uh, so I, I was <laughs> kind of aware that that was a, <laughs> I know that's a little, but it's, you know. Um, it happens. So I was very tolerant, you know, and, and very accepting and kind of I would sit there and um, it actually made me kind of, you know, miserable at the beginning of it. But then as I settled down, uh, and even though it never got better, by the way, it was actually, I guess, the muscles start to liquefy and it wasn't actually the, the joints themselves. It was just a reaction to this medication. And... Um, so I sat with that, and I was really uncomfortable. And then suddenly, I don't know from where, suddenly I got it, you know. I was so grateful, you know. I was grateful to be there. I was grateful to be breathing. I was, suddenly I went through this whole gratitude thing, and I thought about, you know, how the Buddha, um, you know, uh, after his enlightenment, uh, he, uh, in his contentment, uh, he sat there and he uh, stared at the Bodhi tree, you know, uh, this gift of uh, of gratitude for this tree that had sheltered him uh, during his process, you know. And you can actually, this is not a bad Bodhi tree here, um, that is actually holding you and, um, you know, uh, it, just the place itself, uh, the spirit rock, is a kind of solace in its own way. And for him, it was the Bodhi tree, you know? And for me, I was sitting there and there were uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, I don't know, there was things from Burma and from all over that I, uh, I like art and I like Buddhist art particularly. So um, I was surrounded and held by that in some ways. And I had so much gratitude. And as the gratitude really began to build, then um, what was counteracting acting uh, actually, this discomfort did not get better, and I never, I never could sit on a uh, zafu the whole time. But I started having this incredible. Uh, you know, they talk about there are kind of five particular um, things that happen can happen. Uh, see if I can uh, where I put them. Um, this is a, a, in the sense that uh, when there's enough piti or enough uh, kind of joy and happiness that's sitting there, there are um, different things that happen. Not so much of these happen to me, but I'm going to tell you anyway because they're part of it. And uh, there is, you know, minor, uh, uh, kind of minor, they use the word rapture, uh, minor rapture, where, you know, you're really settled in. And uh, you're quite, uh, the mind is, is, in a sense, kind of settled and peaceful. And uh, we, you know, have some abatement of the hindrances. They aren't really around so much, you know? And the conditions, it's just like here. The conditions uh, are not here for them, though they kind of enter our minds and body in some way. But there's no support, ultimately, uh, for them here, you know? So the first one is, um, you know, uh, it's the minor kind of uh, joy. And uh, with that, uh, the hairs on the body stand on end. Does that sound cool? You know? I encourage you to do it this a little more, you know. And then uh, kind of the next one is actually... Uh, what they use, what do they use the language? Oh, momentary. And momentary uh, is described as like lightning striking, you know? So it kind of, I, I know a little bit about this, and, and you're kind of sitting there, and suddenly there's kind of this rush that goes through, and your eyes kind of pop open, and um, 
you kind of lose your, um, you know, you're, you don't necessarily lose your mindfulness, but you lose uh, kind of your uh, focus or concentration. It just kind of throws you off, you know. And um, then the showering, ra- you know, rapture, uh, which is actually waves that move through the body, you know. And so these are all kind of phenomena that happen uh, when um, there's a maturity uh, in, the, uh, in the practice and a sense of, of uh, lightness and, and um, focus, you know. And then there's, they have uplifting. There's, there's five of these, and there's the uplifting. And the uplifting one uh, uh, is described as levitation in some of the texts, you know. But I think of it as lightness of body, you know, where actually the body, uh, it actually uh, is not something that gravity is holding you down. Uh, it's felt, but uh, it is not so much in the field of gravity, you know. And then the fifth of these, which is really uh, all of these other four, kind of throw you off somewhat. And the fifth is all-pervading, you know? And all-pervading means you don't lose uh, your focus, you don't lose um, any kind of stability, but you have that focus, and that focus then can take you on into uh, kind of the deeper absorptions, you know? So I, I just thought I'd bring those up, you know? When I think of joy and happiness, you know, um, it is something that, uh, in a sense, there has to be some effort uh, with this practice and some kind of continuity uh, and a stability uh, that uh, kind of recognizes the you know, the constant um, what, change of everything. You know, and I know both, uh, actually all three of you spoke of uh, the awareness itself, you know, and that um, I have a, a piece that from, this is uh, through the Venerable uh, Mahabua, uh, who was a disciple of um, Ajahn Moon, which... Um, was mentioned uh, about about inquiry that Eugene did, you know that really this whole thing it's it's a body awareness. This is all a body awareness. And I want to read this to you because it's, uh, it, this is really out of the Thai Force tradition, and um, it says something amazing about to me uh, about uh, the nature of awareness itself. You know, uh, what is it uh, that is true about it? And uh, also Mahabua was a contemporary of Ajahn Chah uh, and Ajahn Aloya were all uh, Thai forest in the Thai forest tradition. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever is true, whatever is a natural principle in of itself won't vanish. Okay, this is a, a kind of a big deal. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever is true, whatever is natural, a natural principle in of itself won't vanish. In other words, the pure mind won't vanish. Or, as we've said, awareness does not, you can't, um, what was it, uh, Shardis said this morning, you can't get rid of it. Uh, it's actually just there as part of our experience. It gets covered over, we forget it, it gets lost. Uh, but our practice here is more and more recognizing that there's something that knows, you know? And it's not based on um, the vanishing, okay? Everything of every sort may vanish, but that which knows their vanishing doesn't vanish. This vanishing and that vanishing, but the one which knows their vanishing doesn't vanish. 
whether or not we try to leave it untouched, it keeps on knowing. Whether or not we try to leave it untouched, it keeps on knowing. The mind blankets everything. No. So it's a lovely kind of uh, expression that uh, as that natural awareness, when it's unhindered and it's been supported by uh, the factors of, of uh, the mindful of the moment and, and um, uh, this uh, openness and curiosity uh, and this uh, uh, kind of the effects of the um, of this willingness uh, to uh, keep coming back over and over again. It takes effort. This is, you know, it is a mind training that we are here kind of doing. This is like the mental gym where we, but the mental gym is we're just bringing the attention back over and over and over. We get lost, we get found, we get lost, we get found. But as we begin to be found in some way and start staying there a little longer, you know, there is a tremendous amount of connection that happens. You know, and it has to be that the mind uh, is not wandering from the body. You know, so it's actually in connection with it. And as it stays in connection with it, then very simply that one begins to recognize uh, the gratitude uh, of breathing, just, you know, taking a breath, waking up in the morning. You know, all of this is just a part of a vanishing show. Everything is vanishing, except that that knows, you know. And so we began to trust and rest more and more in that knowing, and there is this incredible effervescent happiness, you know, that is at the root. Uh, and it's not about, the you know, um, we get caught in the idea that somehow happiness is bla- based on Pleasant sensations. Now, my retreat was not about pleasant sensations. Okay? It was not about pleasant sensations. And yet, and yet, because uh, there is uh, that truth that, oh, the awareness itself, if we start relaxing and getting that that's what it is, there is something that's more powerful. You know? And that in itself releases, even though I couldn't get rid of it. You know, I didn't until I came back to the States. You know, uh, and uh, I had a, a interesting retreat. <laughs> Let's put it that way, you know, because again, I would go out and take my walk and it would be hurting and I'd go, you know, it's that thing of, and I watch my mind do this, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, uh, maybe I need a, a hip replacement and a knee replacement and an elbow replacement and probably a brain replacement, you know, but, you know, the truth is uh, I was able at periods of time when I wasn't thinking or wasn't trying to focus on it, that there was this incredible happiness, you know? And the happiness was not based on anything, you know? Because the body itself was not exactly pleasant, you know? But that that is aware, that that knows, when we put more and more attention there, you know? It's interesting as we kind of put our attention more and more in that world. Oh, what happens, you know? And uh, what was great for me was it actually, uh, I think sometimes I have an open heart, but I don't really have an open heart, you know? Uh, I could see that there was this all this tension around being something, being somebody, being having a, a body that didn't act like this, right? But it was acting like that. And I also had this truth that it was actually kind of breaking down uh, the barrier between uh, my fear of what was could be happening, what was going on, uh, which was one side of it. And the other one was, oh, you know, it was a tremendous kind of sense of uh, happiness and freedom that was based on kind of untangling the heart. And I think ultimately this is all we're doing here, you know. It's no more complex than that. You know, I love uh, that translation. I, Jack Cornfield kind of uh, stated is the sure, this is all about the sure heart's release. 
you know, and that we come to this and, and you know, it's kind of serious in some ways. But um, in another, uh, this should be good news, you know, it should be really good news, you know. And I understand that, uh, you know, these hindrances that kind of hold us in captivity um, come as visitors and they uh, sometimes they stay for a while, you know. But our, our practice is, uh, it's not to kind of get rid of them, it's to actually befriend them in some way. Oh, hi, I know you. Gee, you know, I'm not going to, I know you're leading me towards a story, but I'm just not going to go there. I really like just staying here, okay? You know, and the next thing you know, you're back, you know? In the same way you go, you know what so-and-so, I remember this, you know, something, and there it was something way in the past, you know, that would pop up, you know? And uh, the temptation, you know, oh, I could make a story out of it. You know, I could create this wonderful truth about judgment, you know, about so-and-so. And, you know, I love that whole comment, you know, about... Um, you know, we all have our kind of pains in our stories. And the question is, would you rather be right or free? You know, would you rather be right or free? And that's, to me, that's the whole ballgame, you know, uh, about things of the past, you know. So I actually had a really good retreat you know, and it was great, you know, kind of walking out after the retreat was over and, um, you know, I mean, India's kind of wild, you know, I, I go there, just I went twice this year, but, you know, um, it's like a contrast to Marin County, <laughs> you know, it's like day and night, you know, and yet, to see that and, and actually be in a kind of sensitive place to see how it works, you know. And especially, the, you know, some of these old Ladakis, there's an old, um, like a hospice in an old Ladakhi, home for old Ladakhis there. And I walked down there uh, in my walk, and it was so moving, you know. Uh, here were these, you know, and a lot of them, you know, the hands were crippled, and they were still, you know, uh, doing their malas. You could hear them chanting, and their complete devotion, you know, uh, to the Dharma was so moving, you know? And in a way, you know, we're the doubters in there. You can say, okay, yeah, maybe they're over into it. But there is a lot in um, these practices. And, and um, I like these, you know, the... the uh, the 11 things leading to the arising of enlightenment through joy. How's that sound? You know? Pretty good, huh? Here's some things I'll comment on here. But reflections on the Buddha, you know? Um, so much of my early practice, you know, when I was a kid in, in, in India, kind of hanging out, I was a sadhu for a long time. I was kind of nutto case, you know? Uh, uh, kind of a Dharma gypsy, I think, because we kind of uh, used the terminology, you know? And one of the things that, that I, um, yeah, I was kind of lost to the West, you know. I'm amazed I even came back in some ways. I never thought I'd come back, you know. Um, and one of the things was I, I got it about uh, that there was this thing called the Buddha, you know. And not, it wasn't just the statues. That there was something about the, the truth of the concept itself, that there was something much bigger than I could imagine about who and how I am, you know. And it's wonderful to reflect on this, you know, and uh, reflecting on the fact that uh, here is someone that through his own efforts, you know, which doesn't do much for us, but anyway, uh, you know, that he through his own efforts took himself all the way to full awakening, you know, and to me, it's so inspiring, you know, because, boy, I sit there and, you know, I'm, my mind's not different. You're, we're running all over the place, right? You know? And uh, so just having that kind of understanding and then recognizing this word dharma, you know, whether it's just the, you know, um, you know, just the truth, 
uh, our capacity to, um, when we kind of listen and see the, the nature of things. And also I love when uh, I say a reflection on the Dharma or a Dhamma is Nibbana, you know? Isn't it cool? You know? There's a state that is non-differential that exists, you know, and uh, it can't be compared uh, through this lens. It's not about this, you know, and yet it exists, you know, and it has the tendency to kind of rewire. Like pretty cool, huh? You know. And then the, re- the recollection of the sangha, you know, and and. To me, uh, when I think of the song, I think of my teachers and how, uh, you know, so many of them, they, they saw in me what I did not see in myself, you know, and uh, encouraged me in ways that um, I did not encourage myself because, again, kind of the Western ideals of uh, perfection, that somehow I could never be good enough you know, and if I ever did do something good, then, you know, somehow it wasn't enough. And so there was this kind of internal language of never enough, you know. And here were these teachers who kind of looked and, and you could tell they knew what enough was, you know. And they were, they were humorous. They were uh, always in their hearts, you know. They weren't trying to, there wasn't any razzle-dazzle with it. They was just straight about, you know, uh, they wanted you to be free of your suffering, you know. And they had seen how it worked in them, and they wanted you to have some of this, you know. It was, oh, it was moving. And then, you know, the whole process of the monastic system out there, uh, it's, you know, in the Theravadan system, it's pretty strict, you know. And uh, says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the world as it is to spend all of my energies uh, uh, for freedom, you know? And just to, you know, in, in the Buddha's time, you know, before he was a Buddha, uh, in the, what they call the four messengers, uh, when he saw an aesthetic that was walking on the road and realizing this person had dedicated themselves to freedom, you know? He was so moved, he said, I'm going that way, you know? And so there's always something to me about um, the inspiration uh, uh, of the ordained sangha, you know, wonderful. Uh, Moving, you know. And then uh, in this, it's this list of 11, there's... uh, the recollection of uh, the virtues of the precepts, you know, and um, how this uh, practice of, uh, you know, non-harming of all of its functions for ourselves and others uh, is our greatest protection, you know. If there is a protection, this is the protection, you know. I, I think that also there's that willingness to recognize that there is a surrendering to the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, you know. Uh, but what are we upheld by, you know? There's a wonderful kind of piece here. I'll, I'll read to you if I can find it. You know. uh, where is it? Unalloyed jo- joy comes to a man who ponders thus. Others may harm, but I will become harmless. Others may slay living beings, but I will become a non-slayer. Others may live unchaste, but I will live pure. Others may utter falsehood. I, however, will speak the truth. Others may slander, talk harshly, indulge in gossip, but I will talk only words that promote concord, harmlessness, words agreeable to the ear, full of love, heart-pleasing, courteous, worthy of being born in the mind, timely and fit to the point. Isn't that lovely? You know. Others may be covetous. I will not covet. Energetics steeped in the modesty of heart. 
unswerving as regards to truth and vicissitude, peaceful, honest, content, generous, and truthful in all things, will I be, thus conductive to full realization, perfect wisdom, to Nibbana, this fourth enlightenment factor of piti, happiness. No. How's that? No. Pretty good, huh? So there's the whole thing around virtues, you know. If I can find my sheet here again. Um, Too many of them. Um, Where did it go? I shouldn't have brought so many of them. Ah, there it is. So we have the virtues that, uh, as part of a recollection, and um, and then uh, the, the language is um, liberality, but really it's generosity, you know, and uh, a support for happiness. One of the great things, you know, is uh, that non-covetousness is this capacity to give, you know. And that giving is, uh, you know, directly is your happiness. You know, it brings such joy uh, to be able to support or give and 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 uh, hold. Uh, in this case, you know, this community is all through generosity. This building we're sitting in, uh, all of this, the way it's all put together. You know, you are uh, actually. Uh, sitting in a gift, you know? And you are uh, a product of this gift, you know? And it's here to be that way so that the purity of all the intentions that have gone into this uh, can give you the ground uh, so that you can find your way uh, to this generosity and to this happiness that comes from it. The sixth one is, uh, this is very Asian, you know, but um, uh, the language is the shining ones or devas, you know. And um, I never met a deva, just for you to know that, you know. Um, But I understand the nature of uh, that what I see is not all that there is, you know. And they're energetics, uh, some negative, but they're also very positive energies, you know, that are really, they say, beings of light. And uh, maybe I never met one, but I can suspend any kind of doubt or belief uh, system around it and say, oh, you know, can't, can't that be so? Why not be so? You know, I don't have to. Uh, I just have to give myself permission to not stay so small, caught up in you know, some small sense of this kind of world of self of how it works, but actually expand that, you know, and that there are uh, these shining ones that uh, uh, inhabit our world. You know, in my first years in the late 60s and and, um, with uh, Anagarika Manindra, there used to be like four or five of us come to practice, you know, and Joseph Goldstein was one of those. He was my kind of like my first friend there, and in, in uh, not in the Dharma world, I'd been around for a while, uh, but uh, in the, this sitting practice, you know. And he would start these talks, and sometimes his talks would go on for two and a half hours, you know. I mean, he would really get into it, you know, all the kind of details and stuff of how this works, and and uh, but he would always start out and say, you know. Uh, I invite all the spirits and the tree spirits, and he would always say, there's so many people in the room. It'd be like four of us, right? And for him, it was the truth that he held that, you know, uh, as a possibility. You know, I, don't, I don't know if you ever met one, maybe, but I don't know that, you know? But why not, you know? Could you walk around and just say, oh, they're all around us, you know? That'd be cool, you know? And kind of keep us... Uh, from getting caught in the kind of our kind of our, our rational disbelief, but actually opens up to a bigger possibility, you know. And I just present that, and and to me, I like that, you know, 
because, um, you know, I'm like everybody. I, I'm a Western, you know, professional doubter. And, um, uh, and I have to work on this, you know. But I also say, you, why not? Try it out, you know. Let's see here. Am I babbling too long? Uh, the seventh is a recollection of peace, you know. And for me, uh, this goes back to my retreat there. It's like this ideal that somehow, you know, where does peace exist? You know, Ex- exists when my mind and my body and my heart are connected. You know, uh, when they're connected, you know, I have no fear. You know, fear lives in my mind. Fear does not live in my heart. You know, and so I give myself permission to sort of, oh, you know, can I just kind of rest uh, in this uh, simple being, you know? And that from that, there is this capacity of, of uh, a peace that comes from uh, a total awake, aware connection. And then uh, nine and ten is, uh, I just do them both, and one's association with good people. You got it! Here you are! You're with good people! Is that cool? You know? You don't have to talk to them. You know? <laughs> you know? You just have to know they're there. They love you. They care. that you're, you, We're all doing our work. You know? And we all have kind of our hindrances and our little demons and our histories and our longings, you know. Okay. But the goodness in this room is just fantastic, you know. Uh, uh, It's immeasurable, you know. And then, of course, the other side of that is associating with, uh, uh, I'll just call it rough people, you know. Uh, people who, uh, you know, in, in the Texans that they talk about irreverent, you know. And in some ways, what I really hope is, is that you learn this Buddha Dharma in the sense that there's some humility, that uh, there's so much more going on here than kind of meets our senses and even our thinking. You know, can we just uh, kind of relax and, and uh, hold this incredible, uh, you know, gratitude for this incredible universe that's... Uh, uh, allows us, you know, to have these bodies for a period of time. That's pretty cool. That's nice, you know. So, and then the tenth is uh, reflection on the discourses that inspire confidence. I think this is a huge piece because for me, one of the things that I totally believe in this, I totally get it, you know, right down in my gut. You know, and uh, I understand that um, it took uh, some means of being inspired, you know. And I hope, you know, this is why they call it insight practice, that we kind of get on some moment that we get, oh, you know, this is a piece of the truth, you know. And it's just a piece of it, but uh, it also then can support us of looking at, at, this truth of inspiration. Sometimes it's reading, um, you know, these days the, the texts themselves, but there's such, you know, when I first went, there was no books around. That, that was actually good in some ways, you know, so I just sat, you know. But today there are such wonderful minds out there that write beautiful things that can inspire you, you know, and just like teachers can inspire you, there's also uh, writings out there uh, besides just the the suttas or the texts themselves that inspire you. Then the 11th, inclination towards joy. You got that. You can do this. You know, this is not something, and I think, you know, when I say inclination, it means that, you know, Thich Nhat has a thing when you sit, you know, you're going to be very serious, you know, or you can kind of put a smile on your face. And I know it's, you know, in the, in the AA community, it's sort of, you have to fake it till you make it, you know. So there's a bit of, you know, well, how do I kind of let myself do this, you know, and uh, bring that 
uh, into my experience, you know. So, you got it? I'll read my poem here to finish because we got more to do tonight, you know. But my job is to keep you inspired and keep you up. (laughs) Maybe. Old year, new year. Wiping off the stickiness glued to the mirror. Knowing that if the rag is not clean, we just smear our clarity over and over. Steeped in this modesty of sitting. Ultimately being faithful to our precepts. Understanding the power of these hindrances. We stay aware, awake, inquisitive, energized. Having cleared the road, we feel the truth of imperfection. This great happiness begins to dawn like a snowflake melting on your hand. We sit with ease in this changing world. Small glimpses of the spots where the mirror is clean. Small glimpses of the spots where the mirror is clean. Such joy in this purity of seeing. Such joy in this purity of seeing. Firmly established, ultimately feeling the world of joyous contentment. Sit for a moment. Mm. Okay, that's it. That was a big sit. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.